What's up, my miners of intelligence and consciousness? I'm Rick Brooks, and this is Rick's Mind. So as always, I'm always thinking about how to get better. And I've recently found, reconnected with a really good friend of mine, a former coach, Lauren Fjord. I've worked together. I've worked with him in the past to improve my mobility and flexibility. And uh, without further ado, welcome to the show, Lauren. Hey, how's it going, Rick? Dude, living the dream, man. So I was kind of before the show, show thinking about the first time I laid eyes on you and we were in a communications class in college. That's funny. I was actually <laughs> trying to pin down when that was. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, it was like calm three fifty or something. It was, um, I can't think of uh doctor. Oh, it's not, it's a, she had a, I can't remember her name, but we're in her class. The class was full and you walked in And you were kind of looking, you know, you know, you walk into a class like, who the fuck am I going to sit by? And I looked at you and you, you were eating out of a Mason jar or some glass dish. And I had all my Tupperware and I had this gallon jug and your water bottle. We both looked at each other. I was like, yep, that guy's on the level. I'm going (laughs) to sit by him. And we kind of became friends. And I was uh, listening to the Tim Ferriss show and uh, your mentor, and I can't think of his name either, the U- United States men's gymnastic coach. Yeah, I coached Summers for a while there. I did some work with gymnastics bodies kind of at the time that we were connecting. Exactly. And this guy had the this line um, that changed my mind because I hate stretching. <laughs> but he goes, if the, if the fittest, some of the fittest athletes on the planet, men's gymnastics can do things with their body that you can't do and they're stretching every day, why the fuck aren't you? And I was like, oh no, he's right. And then it was serendipitous because we started, I started, I was like, dude, I got to start stretching. He's like, well, hey, I know Coach Summers. So you, I didn't even bring up Coach Summers. Like, I did an internship in Colorado with this guy named Coach Summers. Like, no fucking way. And then friendship was struck, dude. <laughs> yeah, more or less. Yeah, no, I was always eating in classes. And whenever people are like, oh, you know, you know, like, oh, I wish I had food. It's like, no, it's just a failure to prepare, man. Like yeah. every day you get hungry. Every day you're in this class. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I know, man. And that's that was a, one of the things I liked about you is because we, you know, we're we have the same mindset, but we, you know, we have, we came to kind of the same philosophies through different paths. Mine was football and, and just lifting weights. And actually, I don't even know, how did you even start your like fitness journey? Yeah. Um, just kind of to give a quick, quick run by. Um, so I, I got into parkour when I was younger. That was kind of my, my on-ramp to, to sports and physicality and stuff. But I was always running around as a young kid and always into what I could do with my body. And then, um, so in, in elementary school, like most kids, I feel like that's going up the slide instead of down the slide and always getting sent to the principal's office for jumping off of the equipment and just running around. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then that turned into finding parkour. And um, I, I feel like pretty much everybody kind of knows what parkour is at this point. So it doesn't need a huge explanation. Um, and then so parkour through high school and then that kind of brought me into rock climbing and um, then I got into firefighting and then after firefighting for a long enough for a couple of years, I realized that I didn't want to do firefighting for a living, but I was more interested in kind of um, how to make people fit and how to be fit myself. And then that brought me into um, sports science at college. And then from there, I kind of, it reconnected me. Um, I was looking for something that could bridge the gap because I wanted people to kind of, I wanted to tie everything back to parkour at that point in my life. And I had a lot of friends that were opening up parkour gyms and I kind of felt like there was this huge gap between the type of person that comes into contact with parkour at that time was more the person that was either watching anime or like, you know, playing video games on their computer. And they're not really like the fitness minded people or the people that have, um, I guess the, the foundation to do something as athletic as parkour. And so, you know, the majority of the people that were doing parkour were just kind of winging it, doing it, copying what they saw online. And some of them were getting hurt. Some of them were reaching really high levels and that's just kind of survival of the fittest but I wanted to kind of tie down um, what was a good on-ramp for people to get into that. And that's where I kind of um, started teasing out um, Coach Summer's work with gymnastics bodies, uh, move nat stuff, 
with Erwin Lacour and Ida Portal's work, um, all kind of in between um, while I was going to school there at Oregon State. And then I ended up kind of latching on to gymnastics body stuff. I kind of liked what I heard. Um, went to a seminar with Coach Summers and Orange in 2014 and decided I was going to continue doing work with them, you know, kind of like what you, what you heard from him. But uh, in that seminar, um, back when the, the seminars were, were still pretty hardcore, he basically brought in a bunch of fit people, crushed them, and was like, yeah, uh, this is what my six-year-old girls are doing in class. And obviously, you know, there's a lot of differences between kids yes. and adults. But, um, you know, the point still stands, like you, you should be able to be mobile and strong. And so I, I really thought that that was um, kind of a good on-ramp in my mind to use those same principles and modalities that gymnasts use and adapt them for adults and adapt them for people kind of meeting them where they are in their life. Um, and then kind of bringing that into the natural movement parkour sphere and kind of bridging the gap from the ordinary person to somebody that does parkour. Um, so that's kind of like a really short version of kind of how I got my trajectory into gymnastic strength training. And then now I'm kind of, um, I, I, I don't um, really use the term gymnastic strength training in my overarching principles right now. I, in, in the work that I do online, the work that I do with my clients, I pull from a lot of different places. And there was like, from when I met you till a couple of years ago, I was really hitting the gymnastic strength training section of my life pretty hard. Mm -hmm. um, and now I'm at a point where I'm totally taking principles from that that suit my ambitions and suit my clients needs as well as pulling on a bunch of different places. Where are some of the other places you're pulling from in, in, in formulating your own kind of uh, exercise and fitness philosophies? Um, a lot of them, I guess now aren't so much um, like disciplines that other people have developed or um, other places or other mentors. It's more kind of a re-engineering. It's like, what do I want the end goal to be for myself? And then what do I want the end goal to be for the people that are doing my basic online program? And what do I want the end goal to be for, or I guess not what do I want, but what do my private clients, like what are their end goals? And then so taking that and then using the things that I've learned from different people and from different places and from my own experimentation, uh, trials, failures, successes, and then kind of, engineering a path for that particular, um, goal or outcome, I guess. So. Okay. Okay. That, that makes a lot of sense. Cause I mean, I'm, and as you know, um, but the listeners don't like, we're, we're going to begin working together. Like after this podcast, I've got about 14 things I need to figure out how to do. <laughs> and I'm going to go to the gym and figure out because I, when, when I was working with you, just the amount, it was, it was very, it was a very, interesting time in my life. There was a lot more uncertainty that, than there is now. And there was a lot of new ideas. And then just being a kind of a kind of kind of coming from a powerlifting background and then trying to do a front le lever, 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 or a handstand or all these really, or a, a Jefferson curls, they were just, they were hitting muscles that I didn't know I had. And it just something clicked in me is like, you know, these are things you're neglecting and there's fucking levels to this. There's levels totally. to your body. There, there, there is, there is untapped potential in your genome that you're, you just beginning to understand through these movements. And it was fascinating. So I'm, super jacked to begin to unlock some of those weird muscle. Well, interesting uh, thing that you just said that it made me think of, and I don't think it's actually the way that you intended it, but you were saying that, you know, I got to get to the gym and figure out how to, how to do these 14 things. Cause what, what you're referring to is I've got a, a bunch of intake metrics that you're going to look at and kind of set a baseline for some different ranges of motion. But on, on that note, um, I always think it's kind of interesting. Um, whenever I encounter new clients or I'm working with people that are working out, or I just have a friend that's doing some program and has nothing to do with me as a coach, it's always interesting to see the people that um, find a way to get something done. And then the people that don't, as far as like having the right space to do something, having the right gadget, the right tool, and kind of in the same vein of me re-engineering or reverse engineering um, where people want to get to and figuring out what are, maybe the best tools that I know for them to get there. Um, 
I think a lot of it comes down to, to, you know, like, do you, how bad do you want these things? Are you coming up with excuses for these things? Are you, you know, comfortable saying like, well, I just don't have access to this or don't have access to that. Cause it's amazing what, what you can do with so little. And part of that's, you know, having access to the information, um, like having access to a coach that can tell you like, yeah, you can do that. You just have to figure out the right setup. And then part of it's, you know, like the, the ingenuity and creativity of the, the practitioner. I definitely would agree with you because during the pandemic, when the gym shut down, I definitely lost my mind and was boozing way too much, but eventually I got fat and was like, I got to change. Right. And you can ruin your life with 15 minutes of track, some burpees and a kettlebell. My life of ruined, dead, right? Like there's always a way to get it in. There's always a way to exercise and you don't need an hour. You don't need shit. I mean, like I said, 15 minutes and I will fucking ruin your life from anybody. Like, um, and, and, and that's another, you know, I, the gym for me is a social activity. I have friends and people that I kind of get inspiration from and people mm -hmm. that I, I just like seeing every day. And it's, it's part of my routine and I don't even lift necessarily. Like, I mean, I lift to get stronger and I'm vain. I want to look good, but it's really more of a mental exercise for me. Absolutely. And, and I love like, even I'm doing a 10,000 kettlebell swing challenge and mm -hmm. you know, I'm running six miles a week, but I, I, I still, I don't, do I need to go to the gym? No, I'm actually working out enough just at home, but I want to go just, I want to well, see the homies. And yeah, I think, I think a big, a big thing on that too, is there is so much more value in a lot of the things that we do slash should do slash biological norms for us humans, rather than like, you know, work out to look good, even work out to feel good even work out to move well, like those are all really good reasons to work out, but there's so much more like you're talking about with community, you know, yes. with like mental health and like all of these things, there's so many lateral gains to having a space to move and express yourself and to, um, you know, kind of bolster your, your connections with, with your peers, with your students, with your teachers. And there's, there's so much life there. Uh, that I think that we don't quantify in exercise nowadays. I, I definitely agree with you. You said a word community, man. The gym, the, the gym community is definitely a community that I identify with. And there's not like the older you get, a pretty good indicator of how your life is going to go is like the friends that you hang out with. And for the most part, the people at the gym are people that are driven. And that there are people that are going some somewhere, right? And that's that's one good place to meet like good people. And it gets harder as you leave institutions such as college, trade school, where whatever it is, it gets harder to meet like genuine people outside of work. And yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, well, you're self-employed, but sometimes I want to fucking hang out with my coworkers. Like yeah. you, I'm with you for eight hours a day. And you'd be surprised at the amount of, interesting conversations I've had at the gym or interesting, even business relationships, just from the gym, this guy might go with my company or whatever. I might close a deal mm -hmm. just because like you show up every day or you show up, you show up enough to where it's like, that's someone I can trust. Yeah. There's a lot there. Yeah. And, and two, like, you know, if, if you've ever had a conversation and you know, like right now, we're just kind of like, um, having a conversation in, in one place. But if you've had taken a business call and you've been like on a walk versus just sitting in the house, or if, you know, you're working on a project and you're too close to it and your, your juices, your mental juices aren't flowing. And then you like work out and you have like all these ideas coming to mind and you like want to have a notebook with you. I don't know if that happens to you, but it happens to me. Like when I'm exercising, when I'm running, when I'm doing something physical, so many more productive ideas come to mind. And so similarly there, you know, like if you're in a space with a bunch of people that are exercising, feeling good, endorphins going, you know, like it's just fundamentally, it's a really positive space. And um, obviously, you know, meeting people, if you're trying to meet somebody at a bar versus a climbing gym or, you know, like you just what you can kind of break it down for yourself. What kind of people are going to be here? Why are they here? 
how do they feel about themselves? How do they feel about their life? And then to the, um, having it be hard to meet people once you leave college and once you leave places that have a bunch of people that ordinarily wouldn't be together all together kind of, you know, yeah. just because of education school. And it's been a weird year for that, especially, I mean, obviously with COVID stuff, but, um, you know, like you, you leave college and then typically people would get a job and their social circle would start to shrink and start to become more consistent. And depending on how, what kind of work you do or how you chose that job, you might not really have any real values and morals and lifestyle things in common with the people you work with, unless you work for a lifestyle company or something like that. Yeah. And unless you make those opportunities to meet people, um, that these kind of start to go away. Dude, that's, that's a tr- and then I'm, I don't think it's happened for you. And I don't think it, it's ha- definitely hasn't happened for me, man. I, I need less friends, but, <laughs> but, uh, but it is something that I do see and it does, it concerns me. Cause I think that in the 21st century, I think that this is almost the loneliest century you've ever been a part of. Cause we are, it's, it feels like sometimes we forget, we forget that we're human. We forget that we need to move. We forget that. We forget what human is. Yes. We know we're human, but yeah. yeah. We, for, yeah, we, we lose our humanity in these screens and I love technology. I, I think it's, it's amazing. It's, it's, it's made my life easier and better, but sometimes you have to ask, like, is that always better? Like I, today, I just, I had to remove Instagram from my phone. I'm going to just use it on my computer because I just am on that shit way too much. Like yeah. way too much. It's too much. There's too much to look at. And, and I just, it's not that I'm feeling anxiety. It's just something I know is not making me better. Well, it's you're just, intelligently auditing yourself a little bit. You know, you're just, you're like, how much time do I spend on this? Maybe, you know, if I remove the ease of access slightly, by making it something I check on my browser rather than right in my pocket everywhere, every second yeah. of the day. And that, yeah. And there's, there's a lot of good, but there's just too much bad. It's too much of a distraction. It's, mm-hmm. it's too much of a distraction. And, and I've already, I've also, it's literally been removed from my phone for an hour and I'm just pulling up my phone <laughs> to like, look at it. I'm like, okay, yeah, you definitely had a problem. Like, yeah. You gotta we're such creatures of habit. And that's where it kind of tying back, I guess, into training a little bit where I'll see a client, let's say I, I like best case scenario, kind of crazy. I don't really have clients like this, but let's say I see a client one once a day during the weekdays. So one hour, five days a week, we train together. Um, and we're working on whatever their goals are, you know, maybe some postural stuff, some flexibility strength, but then they have 23 hours to themselves in that day. So, you know, someone be like, wow, you train, you know, five days a week with your personal trainer in person. That's crazy. That's so much dedication. And it's like, well, you know, in that day, regardless of whatever it is that you could accomplish in 60 minutes, you still have 23 hours in that day and things that you do that you might not be doing consciously are bioaccumulating in your life. You know, we're building these habits, we're building these motor patterns, we're building these trains of thought, our communication patterns with our, our partners, our friends. Um, and those things bioaccumulate throughout our life to, to amount to so much more than, you know, like 60 minutes a day, you know, how much time do you spend sitting? How much time do you spend scrolling on Instagram? And like, we create these imprints that I don't think we really think about the lasting implications of them. Yeah, man, I I would, I would definitely agree. I just, I'm trying to, because I want to definitely grow the church of the chubby in this is, but it's like how much time I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I feel like you have to be engaged in social media, especially if you're kind of doing what you or I are are trying to do, right? We're trying to inspire. We're trying to get people to move. I'm, I'm documenting. I have my website. Um, I want to funnel traffic to that from via social media, but it's like, man, I got to kind of, I mean, I'm not too worried about that right now because I'm just getting started out, Mm -hmm. but I feel like you do need some sort of online presence via social media. So it's my, my thing is just like, how do I treat this like a tool? Yeah. I'm trying to unlearn because I like to go on there and just fuck off and scroll and (laughs) look at people and Ooh, that looks, you know what I'm saying? Like, and just wasting time. 
how do you, how do I figure that out? I feel like, is it a time? It's off my phone. That's step one. Maybe when I put it back on my phone, there's a time limit. But if I've, I, I could, I've, I could lose my, I had to, I had to remove Reddit from my phone. That's a whole other demon. But, um, I just, I'm like, have you found a balance with that? And are you able to successfully use Instagram, Facebook? I'm not sure what, what all you're, I know you're on Instagram, but as a tool. And if so, how have you managed that? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty horrible at using it for marketing strategies. I don't have any type of like lead, um, any, any kind of funnels, any kind of really promotionals. Um, I, I kind of just built up my presence a little bit on Instagram as I was getting into gymnastic strength training, kind of back when we met. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Instagram was a little bit more of a simple place when I did that. And so I built up a decent following. Um, and, but, but as far as like kind of putting guidelines on it and using it as a tool and not letting it suck your soul and, you know, put your attention in places it shouldn't be. I, I kind of treat it a little bit in the same way that I have with creating the business that I, that I've created is I, I try and have a framework of what I want, kind of like what I'm doing with clients too. You kind of have that end goal. Like what does my ideal day flow look like? What does my life look like? What are the most important pieces that I want to have in here? And then kind of reverse engineer that again and figure out maybe, okay, so what, what window of time should I be doing this? And what makes the most sense if I, you know, what's left once I have the things that are most important laid out. And obviously it's easier said than done. And, you know, it's still, I'm, I'm always a work in progress for myself, but like um, moving things entirely online gave me and my wife a chance to move out to central Oregon to be out here and check out this kind of side of the state or part of the state, see how we like that. And it's given us a little bit more freedom to structure our days differently. Mm-hmm. And I think that I feel like COVID, um, you know, a lot of people like to look at the negative things that have happened and there's plenty of those, but I think that it's also shown us what we can do remote and what we can, how we can prioritize our days, maybe a little bit less conventionally. Um, and so like, you know, this morning woke up, went out and did some fly fishing. It's a new, new thing I'm working on. Mm-hmm. And then, so got some sunshine in the morning, got some outdoor time, some nature, didn't even bring my phone, didn't have to worry about that and then came back in and then I can start on work. And then also like having a cutoff time in the evening where screens get cut off at eight o'clock, um, kind of stuff like that. So just kind of figuring out what you want and then putting in the barriers instead of trying to look at it like, uh, I don't want to do these things. So how do I not do them? I guess, you know, instead of like, almost like the way that we police things in, in the United States, you know, instead of making things illegal, like maybe have an end goal that you want that doesn't involve that. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I, and I did pick it. Are you, Oh man, I can't think of this doctor's name. He was a neuroscientist that got all into sunlight and. Oh, um, Hubbard. Yeah. Possibly, I'm not sure, but I, I noticed you got some. You got so. Do, are you of that belief that you're gonna you you need the morning UV? I have a buddy that is he every morning when he first wakes up, he stands outside with a shirt off for 15 minutes. He's oh. like, God, I cannot think of the 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 theory or the deal. I, I think it's a good idea though. Yeah, I'm not too crazy, you know. I mean, and I, I wouldn't even call that crazy, but like in the morning, I walk outside. Like first thing in the morning, I pretty much walk out the front door, no shirt, no shoes turn around, stare at the sun with my eyes closed and just kind of soak it up for a second. And it it does do a lot of things that are totally not woo woo, not like, you know, it's all very scientific, but, um, by getting outside in the sunlight, it starts to set our circadian rhythm, you know, at a Mm -hmm. very minimum. And it does a ton of different things. We have light receptors in all the cells in our bodies. Um, and, and so without even trying to get into it, it, it sets the circadian rhythm. It lets your body know it's, you know, time to get up. Um, and, and it does so much for us to, I guess, have the, the light starting in the morning and the light waning in the evening. Like, and, and one of the things that I incorporate into the program for my clients is trying to get walks in because I think walks are really underestimated and, you know, trying to get a walk in the morning, like maybe 20 minutes when the sun's up, um, kind of get your day started, fresh air, get the juices flowing, kind of rebalance the fluid in your tissues and your joints. Um, so tons of benefits there. And then before bed, 
get outside when it's starting to get dark, starting to get cold, um, and your body starts to get ready for sleep as well. And so those are, yeah, yeah, the light's huge, man. And that, and that's the way we we evolved outside with the lights, you know, coming up and going down. And with our without electrical light, I mean, we had fire and stuff. It's it's not blue light. We had a lot of reds and yellows, but uh, yeah. So that, that's that's huge. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I definitely feel, and the, the doctor's name is Andrew Hubberman. Yeah. Um, but I, I agree with you, man. Like I definitely need to get back into the waking up shirt off outside staring at the sun. Cause I'm a tropical person, dog. Got a lot of melanin yeah. in my skin. I require more vitamin D than y'all. Yeah. So, uh, that, I mean, that's, that's huge. And then I, I mean, when I was on the 75 heart, I would go on a shit ton of walks all the time. And I agree with you too. Walks are definitely underestimated. It's just a low impact. You feel great. There's a lot of great parks in here around where I live. And it's, it's, it's always good to be in nature. And it also like, like yesterday I, I hiked to dog mountain and I was there with all the wildflowers blooming and it was a hellacious hike. It's like an eight, eight or nine miles round trip, all uphill. But when we got to the top and I'm looking at all these wildflowers and I'm just like, man, I mean, what am I even stressed about? Like, this is, this is really all that matters. I am also side note, 87% sure there was a lady like frying on acid. She was lying down in the middle of the field. And I spent like a good hour and a half at the top, just chilling. I walked down and she's still there. Just like, just all, all up on the, <laughs> all up, all up on the, in the flowers and stuff. It was great. It's yeah. great. Uh, but yeah, um, I was actually just mentioning to my, my wife earlier, you know, like about, if we, if you get to a point where you never have to check your watch, like you never have to worry about what time it is, maybe that's making it, you know? <laughs> I think that's deep, man. Yeah. If you never, if, yeah, if you don't, if you're, if you march to the beat of your own drum and you don't ever have to take a meeting or anything like that, cause you're just, you're, if you're self-insured, you've made it. That's where we're all trying to get to yeah, where and it's this balance between like, you know, technology, like we both love technology. You can leverage it. It's a tool. And then it's kind of, you know, setting it on your own terms, like not, not having it completely, completely run your life, even though, you know, it, it is a necessity for a lot of people to, you know, get up at certain times and have jobs and do all this stuff. But, but trying to find that balance in this modern world, because we're not, we're not just going back to ancestral times. And, and obviously that doesn't make sense based on where we are and what we've got going on. But there's so many, I feel like so many simple, um, kind of lessons and things that we can learn from ancestral wisdom and just kind of ancestral knowledge and things that that resonate with our biology along with leveraging modern technologies and oh yeah man i definitely definitely agree with that and i think it's that's what my my mission's been is just to, is to try to make sense of this world in the in these times i've got a question do you think that we are you are suited for the time that you were born in it's uh, oh <laughs> you can interpret that question two different ways and i and i will but uh so when you first were saying that it, it was making me think of a conversation i had recently about um kind of locality and where your ancestry and lineage is from on a genetic level and like what time zone you're in and mm -hmm. where your food comes from where your water comes from if your water comes from a local place and it's part of that land because we're just like uh, animated soil, basically. Yeah. When, when we die, we're going to decompose and turn back into soil where we should. Otherwise, you know, like now we kind of put put ourselves in plastic boxes and try and try and stay out of the system as much as we can. Yeah. But, which is stupid. But like trying to imagine the health and vitality that somebody would have if they were born and raised where their genetic lineage was like more or less from eating the foods that were biologically appropriate to them. And then obviously if all of us were living lives that were a little bit more biologically consistent um, with movement, exercise, physical contact, all those kinds of things. But are, are you talking about like time period? Yeah, I'm talking about time period, but I like your first interpretation of that. Um, that's a tricky one. Um, I've, I've always, you know, like it's fun to, look back on different times in history um, and kind of a, a random tangent. 
Did you ever have those superhero conversations? Like what superhero power would you want? And all, all the time. One of the ones that I came up with that I feel would be so amazing is I came up with this power that if you could scrub through time from present all the way back to the very beginning of time, like instantaneously, like scrub back and forth and you, you wouldn't go there, but you would only see it. So like if I was standing in a valley and I could scrub through time, I could just like see everything that's transpired there from like continental drift to battles, to wildlife, to, you know, if this was underneath the ocean at some point and just instantly scrub through time, but I would have to physically be in the location to see it. So like, if I wanted to see something that happened in Asia, I would have to travel to Asia in real time and then I could scrub through time and I would only be seeing it. And so I, it kind of leads me to think that I would be like a treasure hunter or a, you know, like a <laughs> historian and like, you know, read history books to find leads of places to start my, my ch- journey and then yeah. scrub through time and see what actually happened. Be like, Oh, they were totally wrong. This guy was a total dick. Yeah. And, and you could see it firsthand and just kind of be a fly on the wall. But as far as like, if I feel like I would was born in the wrong time, or if I could could choose to live in another time, I I think I think potentially if if I could go like, and then there's always that catch twenty two of you. Do you have the same knowledge and understanding of life, you know, that you have now? Because mm-hmm. if your outlook changes with the place that you are, I feel like you're always going to be. Um, there's always a little bit of dissidence and a little bit of complacency that sneaks into living in a place and being part of that place. Um, short answer. I, I think that I, I really do like where I am and I always kind of, um, like the struggle of where I'm at, mm-hmm. but I could also imagine living in like prehistoric times, you know, hunting megafauna and just doing that kind of thing. And, you know, people can paint it one way or another, but I think that that would be pretty rad. It would be rad, dude. Like, especially watching the mammoths, freaking like, I don't know, mammoth herds, their migrations, or seeing like a, a short-faced bear, or a, you know, gigantic, giganticus epithecus, like the real Bigfoot, the yeah. one that acts. That would be fucking sick. So to put it, uh, yeah, at times when we had small bands and tribes, and the number of humans on the earth were small. Yeah, I, I think that that would be. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, you know, like there's a book that I think I really recommend highly. It's uh, Civilized to Death um, by Chris Ryan. And um, I think he really dispels a lot of the current faulty views of prehistory. Um, and and that really was the time of plenty, like like beyond imagining in a lot of ways. And And that's not to say that life was easy. In a lot of ways, we have the easiest life in like, let's say some places in America, but the highest rates of mental illness, the highest rates of obesity, diabetes, depression, feelings of isolation, all this kind of stuff. Um, but even if you look at like the journals of Lewis and Clark and early um, like trappers and stuff in the United States, they talked about the bounty of the land as far as how many Buffalo there were that would just black out the plains. And, you know, like you could almost walk across the river on fish and salmon during the salmon runs. Um, but yeah, dialing it back to where like megafauna were running around and like, you know, humans could just hunt and kill, you know, plentifully. I think that, um, yes, there were probably, you know, there's always going to be issues and hardships and things, but I think that the hardships that we faced at that time were more biologically appropriate. And, and you could even run a, a quick thought experiment of the length of time that we spent doing that versus the length of time that we've spent doing what we're currently doing. And we yeah. are not suited to the stress that we have in everyday life with, you know, communications digitally and the way we do relationships and all this stuff and isolation and sleeping in a square bedroom on a square bed on a square pillow instead of everything is like round and organic in nature. Um, there was, there was a really cool video actually that I, I yet to be able to rediscover where the, it's a, like a little animation and the guy um, breaks down how everything in our life right now is square. Yes. Ka- Kanye West is a big proponent of this. Like why the fuck is everything square? Yeah. Yeah. There was a great little animation and it just like, it's like, Holy, Holy shit. Everything. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's not how it really is in nature. Not at all. 
Um, that's that's interesting. I definitely agree with you. We would definitely spend a lot longer uh, be, living as hunter gatherers, or even just basic, um, not uh, farmers, right? But not just monocropping. You know, mm-hmm. doing multi-crop and rotations and whatnot, and things are a lot better for the earth and than we do now. And it's, it is interesting to see, I mean, the diseases that we have now are diseases of plenty. Yeah. Diseases of civilization. Yeah. Diseases of civilization, um, disease of not moving. And and because I don't think if you lived back in those times, I don't think you would be, you wouldn't have time to be depressed. You wouldn't have time to be, because all your concern, all your, your only concern is what am I eating? I'm in a ketogenic state all the time because I'm, I'm, I'm either eating plenty or I'm not eating at all. And who the F is that band over there? And are we going to conquer them or are we not? Are they going to be friends or foe? Um, a lot more simple, a lot less stress. And it's, I, I definitely wouldn't do that because um, I don't think I'd want to live back then. <laughs> because uh, if you broke a leg or get scratched by a thorn or something, you're done. You know, there's no antibiotics. Death of infection, definitely could have, could have been something real. Yeah. There was no <laughs> well, AIDS though. Yeah. And, and I, ironically with infections though, too, like, uh, one of the number one, um, causes of death of, I can't remember exactly, but it's something like over 70, over 75 in the United States is, <clears throat> is dying of an infection in the hospital. And yeah. typically the way that plays out is somebody has shit balance because they're living a Western lifestyle and which is such a poor excuse because if we could run a tangent on balance and how easy it is to address that problem and oh, how the get on it therapy is, like is not even none of our our mainstream institutions of health are really helping the people but so imagine this old person 70 75 years old they lose their balance they fracture their hip they go to the hospital and they die of an infection and you know we're talking about people dying of infection back in the day well now we have tons of people doing that here too but yeah, yeah, well, you're right. No matter what we do, we're not getting out of this world alive. But, dude, let's get into this. Your tangent on balance, because that's something yeah, that I think that balance and grip strength, I think, are are two of maybe the most underrated um, kind of things in the fitness world, um, in the sporting world, and and I guess maybe not in the sporting world because people that are at high level in their sports they're pretty good at their sports, but people that are just doing fitness to be fit, which is a huge demographic nowadays, people that spend a lot of time in the gym, people that have great physiques, um, you know, the whole functional fitness movement and all that stuff, those people included. Um, what I've noticed in the years that I've done, what I've done is that there's as parkour has become more mainstream, there's been a partitioning of parkour athletes and fit athletic exercising people. And, you know, like you'll have a conversation with somebody who looks super fit, takes a lot of time um, paying attention to what they eat, the way they live, the way they exercise. And they'll be like, you know, oh, yeah, but that guy's a parkour athlete. That's why he can do that. Like, that's, that's why he can jump. That's why he can do this crazy stuff. Um, and then I've seen really fit people take workshops, work with myself. Um, and, and they're like, they're so um, alienated in their own body when it comes to simple, like seemingly simple movements, movements that kids do movements that people that do parkour or move net or, you know, natural movement do when it comes to vaulting or balancing, they just look really awkward in their body. And there was a great video on, um, Niall Wilson. He's a gymnast, um, for, uh, the United Kingdom. And he, he has a YouTube channel where he does a lot of fun stuff, but he, he brought on a bodybuilder and he's a gymnast. He's this little gymnast brought on this huge bodybuilder that like aesthetically, you know, some people might say he looks really good. And then he, you know, walked him through some of the little kid warmups and like had him on a trampoline and jumping on the trampoline. He looked like the most awkward human ever. He was like kind of stiff. Like if you imagine an action figure or a Barbie doll bouncing on a trampoline, that's yeah. kind of what it looked like. And, and Niall was just like having this like mind blowing moment where he's like, you know, this is somebody that spends like two to four to five, maybe hours a day on their physical, you know, physicality. And yet they have, they're not in touch with their body at all. They can't move well. They don't, you know, they don't have this kind of supple movement to their, their flow. But um, so you're tying that back into the balance stuff. Like balance is, is one of the easiest things for anybody to work on. 
because the, the, the most regressed version of balance is, you know, standing on two legs, standing on two legs with your eyes closed, standing on one leg with your eyes open next to a wall. So you can, if you tip over, you know, you have, heaven forbid, you can reach out, touch the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, then standing on one leg with your eyes closed, standing on one leg with your eyes closed on maybe a squishy surface. And so those are all really safe, approachable ways for anyone, any age to work on balance. And then, you know, there's the tons of lateral gains here, but if you can stand on one leg with your hips level, let's say that's, that's what we do to walk, to run, to any single leg activity. We need that balance across the hips. And so as you're aging, super important to be able to maintain balance on one leg while you're walking, but to, to bring that back into younger populations, you know, like, um, and more athletic populations, there are a lot of young athletic people that can't walk on a rail. And like, you know, obviously that's not everyday activity for a Western human, but I feel like, you know, it's, I've seen little kids build up to this. I've seen adults build up this in a matter of months. It just takes a little bit of deliberate practice. And, and since balance isn't sexy, it's not something that's marketed to us. And it's not something you can see, you know, like you're walking around and you like come up to somebody in the gym, you're like, damn, your balance is good. It's not like, (laughs) <laughs> no, your biceps or something that you can, you can see. Um, but yeah, I think that it has so much potential carryover for life, for, um, opening up opportunities in like, if you're exploring out in nature, if you're exploring in an urban environment, and then I guess a piece that is pretty quantifiable to the individual that I've seen is when people do improve their balance, they have a sense of, um, what's the right, like their self-confidence and their self-efficacy and they're like the way that they carry themselves, just like it, it, it elevates to a tangible or visible level where if you see somebody that's walking around, that's confident in the way that they move, it shows, even if you can't quite put your finger on what it is, you know, like a lot of people I've talked to, they'll, they'll see, and not to just bring it all back to gymnasts, but gymnasts are one of the athletes that everybody kind of has seen or known that kind of resembles more natural movement in parkour. And so people that are really confident in their proprioception and in their ability to move, like it shows in the way their muscles develop in the way that they move. Um, and I think that that's a pretty cool thing to cultivate and then kind of, I a hundred percent agree with you. That was the one thing that, I learned when I was doing hot yoga and was how important balance was, but I would also challenge you. Cause I also think one thing that is also underestimated is foot strength oh, because totally. my fucking feet hurt so bad when I was doing hot yoga. I thought I was going to die. Yeah. They would cramp. They would just, I had no foot strength whatsoever. And, and, I, and I would argue that that's a lateral gain of balance. Yeah. So yeah, the more time you spend balancing in barefoot and, mm-hmm. and like, uh, when, when you get up high heights is a whole nother thing and you have to train heights to be comfortable with heights. And that's kind of, um, a, an element of balance. Once your balance gets to a point where you know that there is no failing on your part, there's only the environment around you. Like something could break, something could push you and you know, you have to calculate that risk. But once you have a balance at a certain level and you're a young, healthy person, I think that pushing on on heights is a really important lever to pull. Um, and you can regress the level of intensity of your balance as you go higher, but Mm -hmm. back to the foot strength stuff, you know, like that's a huge part of having good balance and being connected to what you're balancing on is being unshod, having your shoes off, feeling the earth, feeling the metal, feeling whatever you're on. And there are so many, um, so many receptors and muscles in the feet that we totally atrophy in the Western world. You throw a shoe on, and it's basically like a cast on a small, small kid. It's not as bad on an adult proportionately, but if you imagine you take a shoe for an adult and you scale it down to the size of a child's foot, now the, all the dimensions are almost the same. So like the width, the height, the thickness of the sole, it's like a little square. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're putting casts on these like baby feet that are trying to develop and feel the world underneath them. And you hear it too. You hear a kid running down like a school hallway and it's like, thump, 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 thump. they're just like heel hits foot slams down and we're training these awful movement patterns and we're, we're kind of, it's like cutting off a dimension of our sight in the way that we connect to the ground. Yeah. 
there was a, an account that I was reading um, of a woman, I think it was in somewhere in Mexico, but a woman that grew up very poor or, or it was either, or she was part of some indigenous group, but she, she never wore shoes growing up and she just had really tough um, yet sensitive proprioceptive feet. And when she, like she had never had shoes on until at least 18. And by the time she like, you know, kind of was, participating in society a little bit more she couldn't stand putting on feet she said like she was blind as soon as she put feet on like when she, she when she put shoes on she felt blind yeah she just couldn't connect with anything that is very interesting i never would have thought about it like that it makes sense where what are your thoughts on those yoga toes and for folks that don't we're, t- we're talking about they're these little like i'm gonna say plastic things that you slip on each one of your toes and it stretches your toes out because evidently the your pink if, if you look down at your pinky toe your pinky pinky toe is going to be like pronated in and touching that the second toe whatever and it it, it forces it out are you a fan of those um with, with everything it's going to be a little bit of a it depends answer but yeah. i think that um for the right person they might have good benefit. I think that they're definitely kind of the new sexy thing and people are using them that might not need to use them. Um, and sometimes it's a little bit cringy when I see people doing stuff with them on Instagram, but the idea is basically to return the foot back to its natural position of having some toe splay. Yeah. And, um, and you can do that intentionally by the footwear that you choose the way that you use your feet on the ground. Um, and c- could it potentially be um, a therapeutic or a, a tool to use to try and get you moving in the right direction? I think it could. And I think that one of the big things kind of going back to, to people feeling limited because they don't have these things. Um, I think that your intention behind getting that product and using that product is more important than the product itself. And there are tons and tons of ways to reconnect your foot to the ground without any gadget. Um, you know, like I was saying, by, by mindfully drawing attention to the feet, doing kind of just playing with your foot, looking at your foot and trying to get your toes to go where you want them to go. And it, when I have started doing this with clients, like it's cramp city for the most, most part, you tell somebody to like stare at their feet and control where their big toes are and, you know, laterally deviate them. So that's like bringing them over the toes or medial, like pulling them in towards your center line, putting them under the toes, over the toes, spreading out all your toes and people's feet just start cramping. Cause one of the reasons muscles cramp is because it's a foreign position and the body's like, what is this? Why am I moving in this way? And it goes zero to 60 and just locks up. Um, so I would say that potentially they could be, you know, if you had the extra cash flow to just buy the new gadgets and play with them, maybe but i would i would say that your money could be spent better elsewhere probably and you could just start working on revitalizing your foot by walking on gravel walking on grass depending on what level you're at yeah trying to pick up your sock in the morning off the floor with your toe pass it off to your hand (laughs) that's that's that you do that shit don't you oh yeah (laughs) heather will like toss me something from across the room with her toes <laughs> oh, dude, that's, yeah. that, that's great, man. That, I gotta. I'm running on a lot of projects. The feet are next, but I'm trying. To, the six pack is at the f- f- first and foremost, and then getting more uh, mobility and flexibility in my shoulders and stuff, and and uh, you know, putting a lot of new muscle, and it's not. I'm not as mobile as I should be. So that is like the first first course but the feet they're coming yeah. they're definitely coming that's well, and that's the plan to, uh, part of it is you know like you don't know what you don't know and a lot mm-hmm. of this stuff is very simple it's not necessarily always easy to put into practice but a lot of this stuff is simple if you know it a lot of times the biggest barrier is not just not knowing what you don't know yeah. but like uh in regards to the feet you know just spending more time barefoot yep. you know around your house doing those things starting to to even just draw attention to your feet um, can, can, you know, you can do that while you're sitting here podcasting or, you know, whatever you can move your toes around. And so. 
you don't have to necessarily set a time. Yeah. Nick Nick Kirsten, that was yeah. Nick Kirsten is a trainer that I used to follow in his, he trains UFC fighters and a lot of other athletes. And his first thing is like the first thing I do with any of my athletes is start training their feet and to get tougher, need to improve their balance. That's the one thing that's, that's his philosophy. And I think that's interesting. Um, I mean, <laughs> if you had to say what your training philosophy is, like what, what, what is it and why? Hmm. I, I guess in a, in a nutshell, what, and like I said, it's going to vary for private clients that have their own specific goals. Cause if somebody has a goal that doesn't necessarily align with mine, um, I may or may not work with them. If, if I, you know, if I don't have an expertise enough in what they want, I'll be the first one to say like, I, you know, I'll point you at a different coach that I think can do better with this. But I think my kind of overarching philosophy is to try and, um, reconnect people with the biological birthright or the robustness that humans once had and kind of show people their potential. Like you were talking genetic potential earlier. Um, there is so much stored potential in the human that is so far from being tapped. Like I think tapped is like an unjustifiable way to, to explain it because it's like we have a reservoir of water and we're just like taking a sip of it, you know, like who cares about tapping the whole thing and like draining it and trying to you know, get your max potential. I think that there's like, we've set the bar so low and we've forgotten, like we were saying, we've forgotten what it means to be human. We know we're all human, but we've forgotten what it means to be human. And we've forgotten that we're animals and we've forgotten that we are part of this giant you know, system uh, that is the planet and that is life at large. But I think that kind of all of my training overarching principles and philosophies tie back to what we once had or what we are capable of and reconnecting people in small part, not anything crazy. So like when I, when I had the gym, um, uh, when I had a physical location before going all to online, um, one of the things that people would kind of describe about the space and about their time in there is, is it was, it was like a, an experience of putting yourself in a situation where you were uncomfortable and having a ton of personal growth happen. So it wasn't really like going to a gym. It wasn't really like exercising to exercise, but it was like, you're growing. And so a lot of my philosophy goes around, you know, like helping people grow, helping people reconnect with their body and feel more in their body and more confident in their body, which radiates out for, you know, and has tons of lateral gains of your mental health, your communication patterns and relationships that you have with other people, the way you feel about life, you know, kind of just your energy. So I don't know if any of that kind of resonates down to a, a principle, but. I get it, man. I get it. I miss the gym. I miss, I mean, we were meeting at parks and doing all sorts of crazy shit. And there, I don't know, there was like, what, 15 to 30 of us? When, when it first started with you, it was, uh, I, because I, we met in that class and then I, I made a half sheet of paper flyer with like, hey, looking for 15 people to start this thing in this park. And you were one of those people. And uh, that was, I'm, I'm still... Yeah, I think there's only one person in that group that I don't personally know what they're up to right now. Oh, but yeah. That, yeah, we were just meeting in the park in the summer and getting out, moving around the grass. That was good. It was sick, dude. They were the best people. I mean, I mean Leaf, uh, Guy, I can't yeah. remember. There's there that Japanese guy. I can't. What, what, what happened Yori. to him? Yori. He was <laughs> my dude. Um, that was Those were good times. It was a perfect thing for me at that time in my life. It mm -hmm. gave me a sense of community and broaden my, my mind in the sense that there was a lot of shit that I didn't know and wasn't good at. And it, it got me into yoga. It, it had a profound effect on me and it was, and I, and I'd like to, you know, thank you for that. And I, I cannot wait to continue uh, picking up where we left off. Um, we're out of time, but like, where, where can folks find you? How do they get a hold of you? Give them your socials. Give them, we'll also put that in the show notes. But Yeah, it's super easy. Humanwild.co is both the Instagram at and it's the URL link for the website, humanwild.co. Um, one, one little thing to touch on before we sign off here of what you just said, that it, it seemed like kind of the perfect thing for you at that time in your life. 
And I think that's another really important thing for people to understand as well is that when people find modalities and groups and tribes to, to affiliate with, they, a lot of times it's easy for people to become dogmatic and really like think this is the only way or whatnot. But I think recognizing that we are always growing and we're always kind of, we're, we're, we're journeying through this life from birth to death and our needs change. Our dietary needs change as we grow, as we have different goals, and so do our physical ones. And so facilitating what people need and meeting them at that level, I think that's definitely something that kind of under um, is kind of an underarching value for me is, is meeting people where they are and supplying what they need in their given moment and kind of where they are in life. That's beautiful, man. Well, you'll definitely be another. We'll definitely have you back on the show, brother, and we'll we'll kind of track my progress. I'll know I'll be writing about it on the Church of the Chubby blog. But uh, dude, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, and, thanks uh, for doing this. Yeah, man. We'll talk to you folks later. Thanks for listening, folks.